Welcome to The Strategic Marketer, where we talk about strategies, tactics, and practical steps to help you become a more strategic marketer. I'm your host, Joseph Lewin, and today's conversation is with Mike Grinberg. This conversation is fairly unique because it actually led to me interviewing with Mike's company, Proofpoint Marketing, and this week is my first week as a director of demand generation with Proofpoint Marketing. Mike and I talk in this conversation about what is B2B marketing and how do you do it effectively. And essentially it gets down to how do you build relationships at scale? Any references I make in this conversation to my company, I was working at Cadena's Part Solutions at the time. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation and learn from Mike about how to build relationships at scale. Mike, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Really appreciate you being on. Glad to be here. So what is the goal of marketing? Love the question because I've I've changed the definition for I think a number of times at this point as sort of as my thinking has evolved. As of right now, and it could evolve again, but as of right now, I, I believe that marketing's job is to build relationships at scale. I think, you know, a lot of people, there's, I've heard people say like, you know, uh, marketing should be doing sales at scale or things like that, which I can kind of get behind. But I do feel like there is a there is a point where that handoff has to happen. Actually, we were prior to recording this, we we're kind of talking about something similar to that, where at some point you do have to have that one-to-one sales conversation. I mean, yeah. at least in enterprise sales and B2B. Obviously, not not all the time. There are if you're, yeah, if you're selling thirty dollar so, online courses, you probably yeah. don't need a one-to-one salesperson Correct. to do that. But I think even in that case, you know, I, I believe that the People buy from people who they know, like, and trust, right? Like we've all heard that. And the way you do that is by building relationships. I guess that's the simplest way I can, I can sort of put it. Um, you know, I think th- this also applies to companies, right? Like it's people buy from companies they know, like, and trust. There's a reason why, you know, branding is kind of, I don't want to call it a resurgence necessarily, but sort of. Right. There's there's a period of time where branding and brand advertising was all the rage. Then in like the you know early to maybe even like mid to twenty early two thousands, twenty tens, early twenty tens, like it was all about performance. And now we're kind of having this resurgence around, well, wait a second, brand matters again. Let's do brand. Yeah. Um and I think again it's it's because brands build trust. Yeah, that's excellent. And relationships are built on trust. So if you don't have that trust factor, that no like and trust factor, it's kind of what separates out the used car salesperson from, you know, somebody at a Mercedes dealership. They're totally different. You're treated differently for the most part. I mean, if if you've ever gone to buy a car <laughs> um you, at a at a dealership, you can disagree with me on that. But for the most part, the image of the used car salesperson, it's that there isn't trust. So you really don't trust anything they're saying. You don't trust that that the car is going to turn out how you want. And that's based on years of experience from working with, you know, running into that and, you know, many people running into that. Whereas well, if so you the, go to the, the Mercedes- funny, Sorry, sorry oh, I mean, the, fun, the funny story about, uh, at least on a personal note, about car salesmen, the only people, the only person I've bought a car from directly has actually been a family friend. So there's a lot of trust. Like, I know this guy's not going to yeah. screw me over. Like, there's like, you know, one of my parents' really good friends. And that was the guy I bought my first and second car from. I guess the last car we bought was, eh, actually, I take that back. And then the car I bought recently was always from a friend of a friend, right? So again, same thing. Like, I'm, I, 
I generally, I personally at least, I've never walked on a dealership and gone to the first guy I saw and bought a car. Like that's just never happened because because Absolutely. of that, right? Yeah, I mean, and you, it's really easy to get screwed over in something like cars. And if you go to, uh, just to kind of finish out that analogy, if you go to a Mercedes dealership, there is just a certain level of trust that's built with the Mercedes brand and the fact that you're going to a lot where you know they've put a lot of investment into building this lot and the brand around that lot. So if they treat you terrible and they sell you a lemon, it comes back to them and, and it erodes trust. And so you can kind of see the difference between, it's just kind of an interesting <clears throat> illustration to look at the difference between working with somebody that there's automatic distrust versus somebody that there's automatic trust. And like you're talking about with building marketing at scale, something I've thought about a lot recently working with my sales team is marketing really does help to build those relationships so that when the salesperson gets on the phone, there's already trust built. So the customer doesn't put up their their shield right away and say, oh, this person's just trying to screw me over and sell me something. Instead, they kind of have this relationship and trust with the brand already that makes that relationship continually naturally, even if they haven't talked to the salesperson before. Yeah, for sure. I think there's the, uh, I love the analogy. And then the other thing I'll throw out there is like, I think, you know, words matter and the word relationship, a lot of people kind of have this connotation of, oh, it's like, it's your best friend and warm fuzzies and things like that. But, you know, I've got a relationship with my plumber, right? That's still a relationship. It's not like a family relationship. It's not a friend relationship. It could be a business relationship. It could be a professional relationship, whatever. So it kind of the way I think about the word relationship is think of it like a, a uh, you know, two axes you've got, um, we'll call it like the relationship spectrum. So like somebody who's a stranger to, you know, trusted source, mm. and then you've got negative positive. And what you're trying to do is move the, the more marketing is job is to do is move that relationship kind of in this upward trajectory from stranger to positive, right? Ideally it's never negative. Ideally you're never fighting kind of a, a negative headwind, but you're always trying to move it sort of as positive as possible and from stranger to trusted source. And once you get there, that's where that, in my opinion, that's where that handoff happens. Once you're sort of the, the trusted source, the trusted brand sales comes in like there and, you know, takes over. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's kind of interesting. And this kind of goes back to the conversation we were starting before the call. And then you just said, Hey, maybe we should jump on in because it, it'll be relevant to what we're talking about. But you know, marketing is then building those relationships at scale. So you can have individual salespeople that understand the product. And in B2B, especially in the space I'm working in, manufacturing and enterprise software sales to manufacturing companies, it's traditionally been done that way, where you have heavy focus on your sales team. Those people know the product, they know the customer, they're rubbing elbows with those people all the time. The challenge is you're limited to the size of your sales team. So one salesperson can only have so many conversations. They can only build that relationship. And a lot of times, one-to-one -one relationships, you really can build a stronger relationship pretty quickly. You know, even just one conversation could be enough to move the needle if you're having one-on-one -on -one conversation, but you can't really scale that and you're limited. Whereas on the marketing side, that enables you to take that relationship and you might not be able to build it depending on how good your marketing is, <laughs> you might not build it quite as fast as one conversation, but you can have so many more, you know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, conversations in a sense um, at once. And then when those conversations are ready to go to the one-on-one -on -one phase, then you have a smaller sales team that's able to field those questions. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, um, 
you know, kind of how we were talking about first recording is I think there is this shift happening where like the best salespeople are going to be good marketers. And I think the best marketers are going to be good salespeople. And so when you think about, you know, let's take the example you're talking about on the, on the enterprise side, I do think that the best salesperson is going to now know how to build their personal brand, how to create content, whether net new content or use existing stuff to kind of add their opinions on it. Again, we don't need to get into you know the details of social selling at this point, but but they are going to be good at that, not just you know the usual thing that most of us see day in and day out of, hey, my name is so and so from such and such company. We work with companies like you. Can I get fifteen minutes of your time? Nope, right. no thanks. <laughs> Like I'm not answering. I'm not responding to that phone call. I'm not responding to that email. There's no way, right? It's how do you, as an individual, build a relationship and trust? And you can do that both going one to one and reach and doing outreach, and you can do that by doing by creating your content and going a little bit wider, so like a one to many or a yeah. one to few at least in terms of your you know your personal networks. I think that's where there's this overlap that's happening of to be. I think continue to be the top salesperson, you have to know some, at least a good amount of this, these marketing concepts and be able to uh, create some content. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, we have a, a few other things that we want to talk about today, but I think this is pretty interesting portion of the conversation because it kind of gets into um, kind of that, that challenge and that balance between marketing and sales that, that's existed traditionally. But then like you're talking about, a lot of things went towards attribution and metrics and things you could measure in marketing, which really got marketing much closer to what the sales side would look like and the, and the metrics being based on similar things, you know? And it, I agree with that to an extent because I've talked about this before in the show, but I live in Cincinnati. Procter & Gamble's based out of here. That's all about branding. And, you know, they yep. have established these longstanding brands for better or for worse. <laughs> and people trust the P&G brand. Yep. And I mean- if you don't know what PNG is, look up PNG and you'll find out most people have tons of PNG products, you know, Tide and um, I think Pampers Diapers is is PNG, you know, these established brands. And so their focus has been huge. And, and there's a lot of agencies in the area that focus on building brand. So I've had a pushback to that idea because to me, I'm like, that's fine if you're a Fortune 500 company. But if you're a smaller company than that, or you're not as well established, you can't really measure a lift on some of the advertising that they do. You know, they, and sure, there's ways that you kind of can, but TV ads and, you know, banner ads and, um, and so anyway, some of the traditional advertising that, that we're used to, and they've been around forever and they've just continued to do those. Um, whereas it's, it's more like th things like social media and social selling and, content marketing, I think you could just get way more bang for your buck than some of what these big conglomerates do. Um, I know I'm kind of uh, uh, wandering on this thought. That, so to bring it back, the point is I've kind of had a pushback to that, but then I also have a pushback on the other side where things get so focused on attribution and measurement that you miss out on what marketing can really do for you, which is establishing trust way before your sales team ever talks to a customer by educating them, teaching them, entertaining them, you know, getting in front of that audience, making them aware that you exist. And even just the fact that they see your logo and the, they're aware that you exist and they know the name of your company, that right there could be the difference between them responding to your salesperson's email or not, or resp responding to cold outreach or not, um, or downloading an ebook or whatever, whatever method you use for reaching people, <laughs> way more likely to respond if they know who you are. 
Yeah, for sure. Interesting you bring you bring a PNG because one of my uh, one of the mentors that taught me a lot was actually uh, he was a brand manager, uh, manager director for one of the brands PNG and well, and then he moved on to General Mills, etc. So uh, a lot of the kind of a lot of my opinions and knowledge around branding have sort of been built on some of that. And I think the the difference there is like you know the audience size and type of product, right? I mean, you're, if you're selling, if you're the brand manager for Tide, you're selling a, <laughs> I have, I, to be honest, I have no idea what detergent, detergent costs. I haven't bought, like, don't pay attention. I guess I don't know what, it, you're selling like a $4 product, $5 product to tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, probably billions actually around the world, I suppose, because you're global. So it's, that's a different thing versus if you're a, a niche B2B company and your total addressable market is, whatever, 25,000 companies with maybe 10 people within each of those, right? I mean, you're totally like, it's, it's a different ball game, but I think the, the general concepts though still play. Like in one of the main things you take away from a uh, company like Procter and Gamble is how deeply they understand their customers. So the story I'll, I'll tell you is, I know we're going way on a tangent, but, um, uh, so this guy, and he was a he was an executive. You know, he's running the brand. He would tell me the story about how I can't remember if it was once a quarter, at least once a year. He would literally go travel around, uh, visiting people's homes and doing laundry uh, with, you know, mostly it was housewives. And you'd think, well, why the hell is this guy? First of all, why is it? Why is he doing it? Why isn't some you know lower level person doing it? But the point was, is like. That that was how deep they wanted to understand their customers. They literally wanted to go and do laundry with them. Hmm. So I think that's the critical thing to take away is the the concept of like how do you build a brand? That's what you can take away from the Procter and Gamble's of the world, rather than it's the you know TV advertising or whatever. Yeah, that's not going to be for everybody. Um, so although again, some of that stuff is kind of changing now too with connected TV and how much more granularly some of that stuff can be targeted. I mean, we've all seen like, you know, Gong doing their Super Bowl commercial and being really successful with it. So there's there's a lot of interesting stuff kind of happening in that intersection, if you will. Yeah. And it's interesting too with the I've I've heard stories from other brands, some from books and some from people I've met in the PNG world. And one of those is a is with Swiffer, Sweeper. And they figured that out because of customer research. And they found out that there was this market kind of between sweeping and mopping where people wanted something that was going to clean deeper than sweeping, but was easier to do than mopping. And it took, it sounds like an easy concept, but it mm-hmm. took hundreds of hours of studying people in the way they literally like observed yep. people cleaning their houses and went, huh, I wonder if there'd be a market for something in between. And they created the Swiffer Sweeper and tested it. And, you know, it's been a huge market for them. And same with the Febreze products. It's actually an odor eliminator. And chemically, it eliminates odors. But the people who actually needed to use it, their sense of smell is kind of broken. And so they wouldn't actually use the odor eliminator because they're used to the odor. And and then the people who, who wouldn't use it as much, they found they were actually using the product all the time. And they would use it after they were done cleaning. And it was the smell that made them feel like they had cleaned something. Yep. And it was that feeling of of something that was clean that made them buy Febreze and use it. And so they ended up being able to find the, tar- the right target market and the right messaging because of that research. 
This week's episode of The Strategic Marketer is brought to you by the Brand Compass Course. If you're looking to take your marketing services side hustle to the next level, the Brand Compass Course is for you. In the course, you're going to learn how to identify your ideal customers and narrow down to serve a niche market. Then you're gonna learn how to productize your offering so that it's easier for customers to understand exactly what you do for them. And then you're gonna put all of this information into a one-page messaging guide. That way you can use your customer's language to speak exactly to their pain points and problems every single time. Check out the show notes for a link to the course. Um, so that kind of moves us into um, the next question, which is how do you build relationships at scale? So to me, there's two words. It's challenge and educate. And the way you do those things, I think there's there's three uh, three main concepts, I guess you can look at. You could look at building community. Now, I think that's worthwhile maybe pausing there for a second. Again, definitions are important, right? What What is community? I think people have different views on what that is. But if you look at the formal definition, it's there's a couple of ways to look at it. Right? It's either people living in the same place, they have something in common, or there's this feeling of fellowship for one reason or another. And then I forget where this come where this comes from, but there's like five types of communities, right? There's communities built on interest, so passion in something, right? So think like whatever. Uh, I don't know passionate about crocheting or whatever, right? You can make a community about that. Um, there's, oh, I guess that, that's a little bit different, but um, there's community built around action. So like they're trying to change something, right? So you can think mm. of like nonprofits mostly <clears throat> or any like community action type organizations, uh, place. So whatever you can say like hey, the, neighborhood, yeah, neighborhood communities, exactly neighborhood all that kind of group. stuff. There's, practice so um like activities or profession that that's the example i was given earlier was more around that and then circumstance right like uh some extenuating circumstance so for example we had a daughter that was born really really premature we are now because of that circumstance part of the preemie community Hmm. right not for any other reason so those are the five basic ones you have to think about like okay which one of those do you fall into again just so we could we can the interest Action, place, practice, and circumstance. Those are the okay, five. perfect. Um, and again, I didn't make those up. That's from I, I'm, I forget what the source is. I can find it for you later. Um, but the the question there is then, okay, which kind of community are you? Hmm. Right. And again, a business probably falls under the practice, but maybe not. Like you might actually be building it. It might make sense for you to build a community around. Uh, action, right? Some change you are trying to make, whether it, it might be in business, but it might be like a change. So like, if you think about um, some med device manufacturers, for example, sure, they could go after like a particular practice, maybe it's surgeons or whatever, but it might also be a change, like you're trying to change the way something happens in healthcare. Hmm. Right. Maybe you start a nonprofit, maybe for a foundation or something like that. Again, there's a lot of different ways to think about community, but I think it's worthwhile thinking about first which one it falls into. And then well, in that like, same example too, just to, to kind of make it practical for what we're talking about today, 
before this conversation, we were talking about some marketing people that are trying mm -hmm. to change the way that people perceive marketing and kind of shift some of the terms around the marketing space, you know, and so Chris Walker is somebody that comes to mind and it's kind of a mix between the practice group and, and then mm -hmm. that change oriented group yeah. and people are attracted to Chris Walker. And if you don't know who he is, look him up on LinkedIn and you'll find him. Yep. Um, but his group is really around changing the way that marketing is done and the way it's perceived mm -hmm. and, and the metrics that, that you focus on in marketing. Mm -hmm. And he's built a community around that. And I would 100% put what he's doing under action. It's a, they're, they're, that's not a, he's not just simply going out there and doing, giving like, you know, professional advice or, or whatnot. It's, yes, it's that, but it's with the purpose of changing how things get done. Yeah. That um, makes sense. So, and then from there, you know, you look at like, okay, what, what does that look like? And where do you build one? So, you know, yeah, that could be a Slack group. But a community could also be a podcast. It could be, um, you know, a, a belief in your point of view builds a community, right? Like community doesn't always. I think people, I think, in my opinion, at least, they mistake community for, oh, lots of people in some software talking to each other. Yes, mm -hmm. I think at some point it makes sense to get it there, but that's not all the community is, right? Um, a course or a series of training courses, for example, could be the basis of a community. A certification program could be the basis for a community. Uh, yeah, one an thing event that, or a series that of events of, could be a could be a basis for a community. Yeah, and something that might separate out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. That would separate a community out from an audience. Is that a community talk to each other, not just to, not just absorbing or communicating back and forth between? The brand. So Again, like, I don't even, I mean, I think that's the end goal. Like you want people to start talking to each other, but it doesn't have to happen in a place that you control. I think that's where, totally again, agree. is it better if you can do it that way? Like as a 2.0, let's just say, yes. But the reality is like take a- um, But us having a conversation about Chris Walker and his ideas mm -hmm. on this podcast is building community mm -hmm. around- I mean, if we agree with them, <laughs> uh, is building community. But even us disagreeing still builds community because the people who agree are going to say, "Oh, these jokers, <laughs> you know, they're they're wrong," and it builds even yeah. more affinity than with that that group. So, you know, the fact that there's conversations that are happening, yes, wherever they happen, kind of starts to build that community versus the typical idea of marketing where yep. we broadcast out our message and somebody finds it, they go to our website, sign up, and and then go to sales. You know, it's yep. kind of more. There's conversations happening. How do we get involved in those conversations and, and move the needle? Exactly. I mean, it's something that causes conversation, I think, is the way to think about it, right? And again, that conversation mm -hmm. can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a place that you control. I think that's maybe the mistake that a lot of people make, like I was saying. Um, so that that was so one is build a community, right? Uh, two is you can influence people in the right communities, right? So you have to identify who they are, right? So... You can search for hashtags. You can use a tool like SparkToro. You can uh, attend events and find whatever. There's a bunch of different things, right? And then from there, it's invite them onto your own podcast or into your community you're trying to build. Uh, you yeah. can invite them to speak at your event or your webinar, et cetera. But it's a, like, how can you connect with and influence the people that have influence in the communities that you want to get access to, if you will? Uh, and then the third one is participate. Well, and that could even be like... 
Well, sorry, I might ahead, be no, jumping in too, too soon. Maybe you're saying this next, but I was going to say that could also be trying to get invited or, or having enough clout yourself to be invited yes. to speak <clears throat> within those groups and those communities, yep. um, which you probably won't that's start exactly there. That's exactly what number three is, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I no, still no, that's fine. <laughs> that, that, that's, again, it's not, this is not rocket science per se, right? It's, and the third one, like you said, is it's participating in the existing communities yourself, right? So that could be speaking on podcasts, speaking at events, just participating in the Slack group, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, and there's sort of, and if you think about it backwards, the easiest thing to do is number three. The easiest thing to do is yeah. just get involved yourself in a community. Now, and again, there's levels there, and right? it's probably a little bit harder to get onto somebody else's podcast, but you get to that point by participating, have, building your brand, having your voice heard, then you can start getting on other people's podcasts. Then you're probably at a point where you can maybe start influencing other people and getting them onto your show, et cetera. And yeah. You know, and then well, the, I mean, the hardest and part is look, building your this own community. Conversation is an example. I've seen you posting and engaging with people's content and seen a couple of clips from your show. And we've engaged back and forth a yep. few times. And then I said, Hey, I'd love to have you on my show. And then, yep. you know, here we are and we're having this conversation. And I'll post a clip of this to LinkedIn and tag you in it. And then exactly. maybe some people from your audience see it and find some value and listen to the show. And that's kind of starting to build those conversations, both joining in to ones that are happening and and then creating those conversations and creating a forum or a place to have those discussions. And that might be as simple as a post on LinkedIn that people engage with and they start having conversations within a context that I've set up or you've set up or whoever's working on building that community. 100%. Yep. Yeah, I love that. And I think looking at it, the the backwards, the kind of upside down from the order that you said it is brilliant. And friend of the show, Greg Michio, um, he just posted recently uh, advice for how to get your sales team involved in on LinkedIn. And, you know, he's talking about how it can be extremely difficult to get people who aren't creators and maybe not even advisable in a certain sense to get people who aren't creators to be creating content on LinkedIn. And, you know, I think ultimately there's value in that, but it can take a really long time to get somebody who's not used to being on camera, not used to writing, not used to publishing to, to get out there. So he's like, instead of starting that way, and instead of just saying, here, post post all of this content from our site, those people can start engaging in conversations that are already happening. So, you know, they could search the hashtags that are relevant to your audience yep. or use Sales Navigator to find people you want to have a relationship with, go to their content and start engaging. And not with like fire emoji, but like write something that's thoughtful on the subject they're writing about. Something that, you know, maybe strokes the ego of the person a little bit, just so that they like you and you know they're starting to build some affinity but then also something that adds to the conversation yeah. and adds relevance and we'll start that conversation going back and forth and that's a great way for people who aren't used to creating content on linkedin to get used to to doing it and writing and that could be on discord it could be on slack it could be on reddit you know anywhere where there's people who are already having the conversation getting involved in that conversation is really the best place to start and then you can kind of learn what people are looking for and go from there Hundred percent. Yeah, not to. I feel like we're going to go on a bunch of tangents, but the. <laughs> uh, th this is also fresh in my mind. I mean, we're you know we we've recently started doing more LinkedIn training for for our clients just because it's it's an important channel for them to to leverage with all the content we develop for them, etc. So, um, so that one of the things to think about, like there's there's two reasons in my mind, or two main ones, why people don't participate. It's they, well, I guess three, and they're all kind of related. It's 
I don't know what to write or create. Yeah. It's I'm afraid of the pushback or the failure, right? I'm afraid to look like an idiot. Or the third one is I just don't see, I don't have the time, mm-hmm. which I translate to I don't have time into I don't see enough value in doing this. I could be doing something more valuable with my time. Yeah. So I think that the biggest thing to getting um, the SMEs and say like a technical organization to become active um, is showing them what's in it for them. Like, what is it that they can get out of being active? It's not about what what's valuable to the company. It's about what's valuable to them. It's, you know, Completely you can agree. get recognition and you can make more money if you're a salesperson, right? Or, and again, you can tie again, depending on what your comp structure is. I mean, it could be even simple like, hey, you give profit sharing and guess what? If this helps us build business, you get more money, right? So you can, you can like right. the money part is easy, but it could also be, you or know, if the hey, lead you, came from you and was generated from, from you and your work on your account, yeah. but you know, your account from LinkedIn and, and then you'll get a spiff on anything that comes from business you generated or, you know, any, there's all kinds of ways to get yep. creative with that. That's yeah. And I think the the money part is, is nice. I think there's other things you have to go to because some people it's again, the, that, that fear of failure and that kind of fear of the unknown, if you will, of, I don't know what to do and I don't want to look stupid is oftentimes stronger than that monetary incentive. So you have to change their mindset about what's, what's, Again, what's in it for them? It's more than just that, right? And I think you have the other big part is you have to make it easy for them. So you have to create a, uh, as, like the marketing teams in those organizations need to create an engine, a content engine that makes it easy for these people to not think about, not having to think about, oh, I'm now a creator. How do I create? It's putting them in, put them into situations where they're creating by, not by osmosis, but just creating in by happenstance whatever. It could be like recording team meetings, right? And pulling out a clip going, Hey, you said the smart thing. Here's a 30 second clip you could put, you can now share, uh, you know, whatever, like th- things like that. No, I totally agree. And actually the folks over at Sweetfish Media that they do podcasting, they do, they do a great job about sharing what their wins with their LinkedIn evangelist program. And they have somebody that's ghostwriting content for some of their team members, but it's based on engagement from from that person. So if that person's committed and, and they've done a certain amount, then yep. the company is going to support them by helping to write and create more content based on their ideas and mm-hmm. you know thoughts. So it feels very authentic and unique to that person because the person, uh, uh, Emily Brady is the one who, who's doing that work for them and she's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. So you can go back and listen to that episode if you want to <laughs> hear about what they're doing specifically. But um, it's a really cool way to do it too, if you have the resources um, yeah, one other piece and then we'll, we'll keep rolling here because otherwise this episode will be like three hours <laughs> long and it could be, <laughs> I don't know if we'll keep people's attention quite that long. Um, I'm not that interesting, so probably not. <laughs> so one other piece uh, of this is also you can interview people on your team internally, mm-hmm. just like what we're doing now and, and then structure some really good questions because people in, in certain departments can tend to ramble. So if you want that subject matter expert, have a very clear outline and structure for the conversation, have that conversation uh, record that conversation and then you could turn that into all kinds of content, social media content, website content, frequently yep. asked questions from customers. I mean, there's a huge host of things. And then that can be the start and if one hour long conversation. You could get five to 10 social media video clips. Oh, yeah. You could get, you know, tons of content. You could hook that person up to post twice a week for the next three months off of <laughs> one conversation. Yep. 
Um, so, you know, that's kind of a way, way to do that. So what are yeah, some I mean, of the- that's exactly what we do for like the, the podcast that we run for clients. That's, that's always our step one is let's get your SMEs, the ones that are interested. I mean, you want to start with a small pilot, right? Like get them in front of the camera and just talk about stuff. Right. And you guide it and whatnot into the topics that you want to cover, et cetera. But it's exactly that. That's always, in my mind, that's almost always a phase one because it's easy. It's easy to get in front of the camera and talk for 30 minutes about something totally. you're passionate and, and know a lot about. Yeah. And if you structure, I think the most important part is have a good outline structure of questions yep. so that you can get that person back on track. And then you're, you're golden at that point 100%. to really get a lot of value. Strategic Marketer is brought to you in part by Thrive Themes. Thrive Themes is a killer visual WordPress editor. They've also recently launched editable themes so that you can edit every element of your WordPress theme. You can create amazing landing pages that are beautiful and conversion focused. They've built all of their products around helping you convert more leads into customers. You can find out more about Thrive Themes by clicking the link in the show notes. So what are some of the metrics that show whether or not your marketing is building relationships? So there's, you know, there's two, uh, two things to think about. Like think about um, whatever, whatever sport of choice, whether it's basketball or football, doesn't matter. It's sort of the, the box score versus the actual game score, right? Mm-hmm. The game score is those are the, your lagging indicators. Like, yeah, everyone talks about, you know, how do you measure? I mean, we've, that's actually one of the questions we ask on our show is how do you measure marketing success? And the vast majority of people say like some combination of revenue and pipeline. That's, that's true. That's the end goal, but those are lagging indicators. Like if that's what you're going to measure, pipeline gets a little bit further up, but even that you're going to be too late often. So you have to look at what's the box score, right? What are those, uh, what are the leading indicators, right? So it's things like, are the right people engaging? So whatever, let's assume you're running, if you're, if you're running ABM, it's are the right people engaging with your content? Now that's easy if you're running paid media to a certain extent because you're targeting the right people. So right. it should be, as long as you've targeted appropriately, it should be only those people that are engaging. But outside of that, like in organic, on social, let's just say, and then also there's other things like who's, like people do come to your site at some point, who's coming? Is it the right people? Right? So and then you yeah. could use like the, you know, the, the IP de-anonymizers or whatever and find out like, is it the accounts that I'm targeting that are then coming to my site? And then how are they engaging? What are they looking at? Right? So, um, you know, on social, you can look at comments and likes, et cetera, traffic, like I mentioned, traffic to the site for the right, uh, from the right accounts, companies, um, other leading indicators would be like, are they actually consuming the content? Right. So like yeah. everybody kind of, this gets, this potentially takes us down a rabbit hole of gated versus ungated, but it's, you know, everybody, not everybody, but the, the common playbook is, well, we're going to gate our most valuable content. And right. if they download, that's good. Well, no, if they download that, all that's telling you is they downloaded. You have no idea whether they read it. If I had to absolutely. bet, 90% of those people probably didn't read it. They downloaded it, they forgot about it, and they moved on, at which point it does absolutely nothing for your brand. Right. So it's, right. again, it's comments, it's likes, it's, uh, if they come to your site, it could be things like um, time on site, scroll depth. You can look at heat maps, like, but it's understanding of is, Really, the main question trying to answer is, is your content actually having an impact Yeah. Right on these people? Are they, um, and the last but not least, this one becomes more difficult and you have to really think through strategy, but like the, 
when we talk about building relationships at scale, taking it back a bit is, you know, kind of taking a page out of the jobs to be done, jobs to be done framework, which is, mm-hmm. um, what job do these people need to do? Like, it's not about your journey, the journey you want them to take. It's about their journey, right? So what are their success milestones? How do, what do they need to achieve in their job? And you should be building experiences, usually content-based experiences for those success milestones, for their success milestones, hmm. right? And there you could look at, you know, one of your experiences might be a course, let's just say like, so if the, one of the things they need to do is learn whatever, a, a new concept or a new framework or uh, uh, whatever, a new programming language, whatever, right? Maybe it's a course. And the way you measure whether you're being successful is what's the per- what, what's the course completion rate, right? right? And maybe you tie a certification to it. So again, this is, if you, if you think, if remember, this is, brings us back to types of communities, right? You tie, maybe you tie a certification to it and then it's what percentage of people actually complete the certification. And again, oh. that's not, those things are not for everybody. Not everybody out there is going to build a course and have a certification. Uh, but those are just examples. Um, and I think those become your leading indicators. And then you start tying that to things like, okay, X percent of people complete my course and the people that do are significantly much more likely to close. Well, guess right. what? That's a good thing, right? So you kind of start building these correlations to pipeline and revenue. Absolutely. Which yeah, are leading indicators. A couple more things that could be on that leading indicator side would be um, – are other people starting conversations about our company or the, our ideas? Are people using our ideas? You know, anything along those lines. It's the content that we're publishing, creating conversation. Are other people sharing it? Are they, you know, commenting? Are they? Mm-hmm. Is there a positive reaction among the audience that we're looking for? Uh, and you kind of mentioned that, but I think if you start seeing people have a conversation about your brand on channels that you you don't focus on, yep, that's an indication that what you're doing is working. You know, are people mentioning? your social media or your podcast or, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, recently had, uh, Declan on the podcast. It'll probably be just a few episodes before this one, Declan Mulkeen. And, uh, he said 90%, I think of their customers are starting to say that they've listened and been influenced by the podcast that he hosts. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good indication that what you're doing yeah. is influencing the market that you're trying to reach. Um, and then one other thing would be, is it becoming easier for your sales team to reach out to customers or prospects and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have a better response rate. And then is the process of the sale becoming easier because there's less resistance from your target audience. And those are things that are, can yep. be depending on the situation, extremely hard to measure, but that's what really good marketing is going to do is make the sale easier, make your sales yep. team have to l- answer less questions, you know, spend less time on the upfront. Or different questions. Sometimes it's not less questions, but it's different questions. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And it just being less adversarial, I guess, in general. And mm-hmm. if you start to see a shift in the way that your customers interact, that could be from your marketing and and yep. from those efforts. Um, so just to kind of round it out, I know we've touched on some practical things, but what are some practical steps that marketers can use to build relationships with customers? I, for me, there's a four-step process. One, which we kind of touched on, but maybe not enough, is I think step one is you got to build your narrative. Right. It's what is your point of view on your world, not the world at large, but like your little sliver of the world that you're trying to market and sell to. Right. Build your narrative. Um, because again, that what you, what we just talked about is kind of making the sale easier. Once somebody buys into whatever your POV is, in general, 
you are you're the only game in town, right? There's not really anybody else that's going to compete with you because it's your POV. Yeah. Um, from there, it's which we definitely touched on in one of our tangents. It's talk to your customers, right? What are what are like find out what are their success milestones? Because that's what you should be building your experiences around, building your content around. And you build those experiences, and then step four to me is empower your people, right? It's get your people, build that, the, we'll call the, um, the employee influencer channel. Like that's yeah. the, that, that's it for me. Yeah. And just to kind of round out on that, cause we, we almost got to this point earlier and I, I wanted to say something about it, but it, it made, makes more sense here. Another piece that's so important for building that and uh, getting your team to post or to, to be out there is that leadership buys into it from the company and they're encouraging it. Cause I think that there's this fear from leadership that as people post their own personal content, that they're going to get better opportunities. And the truth yep. is, yes, they will. You're going to have people that are going to get better opportunities than what you can offer. And that's a good thing. And if you have the attitude of empowering leaders within your organization and, and empowering your people to grow their personal brand, you're going to benefit way more from the value these different people in your organization mm-hmm. bring with their personal brands attached to you. And the better you get at that, the faster you get people yep. to have an established personal brand. And then you're benefiting your employees big time for the rest of your life. You'll be able to attract better people to come into your company, but you are going to have more people that you've equipped and empowered so much mm-hmm. that they get better opportunities than what you could offer them. And so I'm just going to say the fear is real of losing your best people. But if you are actually empowering people correctly, you're going to get way more from all of your employees because you're providing so much to them by releasing them to grow their personal brand yep. within your organization. No, I, that's it's interesting bringing that up. I think yes, the fear the fear is the fear is real because it exists, but I think the the reality is is if you as an organization are doing the right things and this gets more into HR stuff, which I know we're not really isn't the purpose here, but I think the <laughs> if you are building the right progressions and things like that for people and you're giving them the right opportunities and you're paying them well and all those things, obviously. And I think you should, yeah, are you going to lose some of your best people? Yes. But I think those are going to be fewer and far between. And the people that do leave have, because you've given them the opportunity to be themselves and build their brand and you've given them a great experience internally they're going to be an evangelist for you, even if they're somewhere else. I mean, I've like, I've, I've got somebody that, that left and they were great, but it just made sense for them to move on. They were going to try something completely different. Great. They still interact with all of our content. They're still putting like there. Anytime we post a job, they're all over it saying, Hey, you should come work here. This is great. Mm -hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Like I can't, you know, I can't pay for that kind of evangelism. Absolutely. So I think it's, yeah, the, main the, the fear exists, that, but I think it's a it's a misfounded fear. Like it's you, yeah. if you're if that's really your fear, you're doing something else wrong. I guess no, what I, I was trying to get. I, I completely agree. And the point is that in the end of the day, if you have that focus of building people up and looking to really sow into the people that you have, you know, some people are going to leave because they've grown so much that there isn't enough yeah. opportunity in your organization for them to continue on. So that will happen at some point, most likely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the benefit that you get from people who love working with you because you empower them, it's going to be way, way more than what you lose in, in the few and far people, few and far between people that end up getting 
different opportunities and better opportunities. So, you know, if you're a marketing leader or a leader and you're listening to this, take the leap, start publishing content, empower your team to publish content because it really goes far in building those relationships. Um, So yeah, Mike, what are some ways that people can find out more about you and what you guys do? Uh, LinkedIn's the best best way you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm, I believe there might be one other Mike Grimberg out there. So I'm the one that's in Minneapolis. <laughs> other than that, uh, yeah, just LinkedIn. I follow our company page, Proofpoint Marketing, or listen to our podcast, which uh, I expect it. I'm, I'm not sure when this will be coming out. We are retooling and I think we're going to, we're going to be renaming it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, share the new name just yet, but it's going to be different than what it is right now. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, we could put a link to that in the show notes. Just shoot me a link and we'll cool. we'll make sure it gets in there. But yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. This is a fun conversation and look forward to continuing to have discussions on LinkedIn as for we sure. go along. This is fun. Thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to The Strategic Marketer wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could do me a personal favor and hit five stars on the rating, you don't have to leave a full review, just hit five stars. It would really help me out. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Strategic Marketer.